Merry Christmas. Christmas. You may be seated. Well, one of the things I love about Christmas Day, and I have the same feeling about Easter, and I've said it before, is these services seem to be somewhat self-explanatory. I imagine we all understand why we are here celebrating who we're celebrating and why we're celebrating the birth of this small child many years ago in a manger. But as we have yet another opportunity to again reflect on this miracle, this gift of God uh, to us, we are reminded anew about God's goodness to us in the form of the person of Jesus Christ. That the Son of God did not think it inappropriate to come down in the form of a baby, to be born in humble estate, to grow up with human parents, I'm sure made their share of mistakes with him, to become a man whose ministry was marked by rejection and ultimately to die a cruel death, only to be resurrected and in time to ascend to the right hand of the Father where he sits to the, at this day. But today, we don't rush to the end of the story. We start where it starts, at the beginning. And I want to reflect with Paul from our reading from Titus this day. Yes, it perhaps maybe would be appropriate to think about the way in which the the first people who uh, saw the baby Jesus were shepherds and to think about Mary's response to all that was going on in her life or even the angelic choir. But some number of years later, when the Apostle Paul sat down to uh, reflect upon these things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we get a beautiful text like the reading from Titus 3 this morning. I think it's easy for us to take for granted because we have the Bible that lots of things were somewhat self-explanatory to the earliest Christians, which of course would not have been the case. First of all, much would have been passed down by word of mouth. And again, can you imagine hearing the story of the birth of Jesus, right? Could, could you imagine, you know, in the 30s AD, uh, born about the time of Jesus and hearing this story about a guy who's your age, who had this miraculous birth, right? Predict it uh, to his mother and his, his human father. Uh, and his birth came with angels, and his birth came with shepherds coming to worship him. And, and uh, we believe the Christmas carol, even the ox and the ass came to worship. And then in, in time, strangers from the east arrived to offer him gifts. And what an amazing story that must have been. And, and, and then perhaps soon thereafter, you begin to hear about that this man has now been arrested or is being arrested or is thought of as a rabble rouser and and people are threatening to arrest him. And so you can, you can imagine all that is going on there if this was only an oral story, right? If this is just something you had heard from your parents or your friends and family. But, but Paul gets to sit down some number of decades later and start theologically reflecting on the significance of all of this. And, and again, we get a beautiful text like Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. I'm going to read it again because it's short. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So two things to notice immediately, that the text is structured in a Trinitarian fashion. We have a reference to God the Father, 
to Jesus Christ and to the Holy Spirit, so that we can understand that the incarnation, the gift of the Son of, of God, Jesus Christ, is, is not just by one person of the Trinity's movement, but all three persons working together for the redemption of humankind. And then, uh, second, we also uh, have the opportunity to notice that what Paul is choosing to reflect on is the fact that salvation is by the grace of God, not by works. Now, since the Reformation, right, salvation by grace alone is a common way to talk about the salvation that we have, and it's the right way to talk about it, but of course that is not a 16th century invention. That phrase is here in the book of Titus, and not just in Titus, but it is here in Titus for us to reflect on this morning. So again, the Trinity has done the work of the Incarnation, so that we focus on the Son of God, the Word of God, coming flesh as a child today, we need to keep in mind that God the Father and God the Holy Spirit were at work. That this is a Trinitarian day in as much as it's just about the second person of the Trinity. And then again, that we are saved by the grace of God, not by anything that we can do. And that's good news on a day that culminates in a lot of our doing we decided this year that we were going to start a new tradition, right? Why, why not? A 17-year-old is going to go off to college. We should start a new tradition as a family, and that's to go to the original pancake house over in Whittier, mostly because Brendan has been taken there a few times uh, at school events, and so he's been talking about it. So we, so we went yesterday, and, and so did a lot of other people, <laughs> and we weighed it in line, and it was very cold outside, and, and I mean, by California standards, and it was chilly, and, and we were cold and wanted to be seated, and we were hungry, and uh, eventually we were, and, but you know, we waited, and there were a lot of people. And, and then another tradition, so those are people out and doing stuff, and then another tradition we have, uh, the four of us, is to exchange names and give uh, a stocking. So we go out and buy up to $20 worth of little things, wrap them, putting in a stocking, and on Christmas Eve, we exchange stockings with each other. So we, th we thought, well, we'll just go shopping on Christmas Eve for the stockings. <laughs> so we, we ventured into stores. Christine and I had the boys, and the boys had us, as it turned out this year. So we went to less stores than the boys did in their hunt for stockings. But we had to go in a store, and of all the stores we went into, Walmart nonetheless. And so, you know, it, it was busy, not as bad as it could be. Bumped into Kevin. We weren't the only... <laughs> foolish people out and about yesterday so but you know people are out doing and i mean it's the it's the last minute gift shopping and and we we weren't last minute people except by design right we decided this is what we were going to do but this is a season of doing right we've even we even turned down opportunities this season to go and sing carols at people's houses we had to say no to some things and at least in the rhythm of my life as a professor at biola we went late this year it felt like by my standards and so i was doing oral examinations up until thursday at noon and i even had to do one on friday and then go to graduation and so it just feels like we've been doing and we've been doing and we've been doing but the good news is that might be true of a way of keeping Christmas in North America, but when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to the point of this day, we don't have to do. We get to just be and experience and receive. So this text is answering three questions, I think. Why did Christ come? Well, the Apostle Paul gives two answers. Because of God's goodness. Or another way to interpret that word would be kindness. 
God looked down on fallen humankind, and in his goodness, in his kindness to us, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Now again, I think I've told you about this before, those apocryphal readings about the parliament of the Trinity, the, the persons of the Trinity talking to each other to decide who's going to go. But, but even apart from that apocryphal way of thinking about why the Son came, the point is, is like what motivated any discussion among the persons to save sinful humankind was because of God's goodness. Because he is the good one who saw fit to redeem us. So Christ came because of his goodness, and secondly, Christ came because of God's loving kindness. And the Greek word there is our word philanthropy. Perhaps better translated that um, God sent Jesus because of his love toward humankind. Right? Not just his loving kindness, but that he had a specific and important love for humankind. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's what Paul is getting at, is that God loved us, and in his loving us, he sent his son in his goodness, because he is the one who is good, he sent Jesus Christ. So, so that's why Christ came, that's why we have this holiday celebrating a child born in Bethlehem, is because of the work that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have done together out of their goodness and their love toward humankind. So that's why Christ came, but what did Christ do? That's a great question. What did Christ do? Well, he saved us. And again, not by our works, but by his mercy, Paul says. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Right, so again, this is not about us. Today is not about us. Yes, there are packages under the tree that have my name on it, right? But this day is not about me. I can't do anything to purchase my salvation. Christ had to do that for me. There is nothing I can do. I can be as good as I want to be. I can be as nice as I want to be. I can, I can be as uh, uh, just put together as you could imagine, but it counts for nothing. God has saved us. And he does it in two ways, Paul says. First, by the washing of regeneration, a clear reference to baptism. So God saves us because at our baptism, he has washed us in the waters of regeneration. That just a few weeks ago when we baptized Nehemiah, we, re we heard yet again that Nehemiah has been brought into the church of Jesus Christ. And again, we're not talking about here... Um, Baptismal regeneration, we're talking about here a process, and Paul captures this by talking about baptism, the washing of regeneration, and by the renewal of the Holy Spirit. These two things are connected together, and they have ongoing ramifications, that at our baptism, when we are washed in the waters of regeneration, welcomed into the church, made, made members of Christ's church, that, that we have to own that for ourselves, that the Holy Spirit has illuminated us at our baptism so that we can be renewed by that very same Holy Spirit who has poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So what did Christ do? Well, he made it possible for us to be saved through baptism, to be saved through the renewing work of the Holy Spirit poured out on us. 
And again, so we think about our salvation as a continuum, something that begins at the waters of baptism, especially for those who were baptized as infants, and perhaps for those of us who were baptized as adult believers, that's perfectly fine too, that we got started a process in us which culminated in our baptism. And again, it's that he does it. We don't do it, he does it. Mari and David, just to choose the most recent baptism in our congregation, I trust we're moved by God to bring Nehemiah forward for baptism. Yes, Nehemiah looked at that, that wafer of bread and that chalice of wine, and he wanted it. He reached out for it most weeks. So they saw his own desire to have access to the sacraments, and they chose to present him for the sacrament of baptism. So Nehemiah's journey has begun. Our journey has begun and continues because we're not just saved. We are being saved, and one day we will be saved as the Holy Spirit does that renewing work in us. So Christ came because of God's goodness and his love towards humankind. He saved us, not of our works, but of his mercy through baptism and union of the Holy Spirit. And for what purpose? Paul asked, I think he asked himself, but he answers it. So for what purpose? That we might become heirs to the hope of eternal life by his grace. That is the reason for all of this that we might become heirs, right? Like uh, uh, that we might be adopted, to use language from Romans, that we are adopted as God's sons and God's daughters, right? That we receive the inheritance of the gift of Jesus Christ and the grace thereby to be saved people to the hope of eternal life, again, by his grace. In many ways, Christmas is a feast about grace, It is a feast where we recognize God's gift to us, his graciousness to us. Yes, through his goodness. Yes, through his philanthropy and his love of humankind. But ultimately, all of this by his grace. That is what we celebrate on this, the feast of the incarnation. These are the things that if we want to imitate Mary, we should ponder in our hearts. Because that's what Mary was doing. She wasn't just pondering the gift of this son. She was probably trying to figure out how to hold him correctly. That's what I was doing at the birth of my children, how not to hurt them, right? To to keep counting fingers and toes, to make sure everything kept working the way it's supposed to be working. So when she's pondering this, she's also that new mother trying not to break her son while pondering this incredible gift that had been given to her. But we know from Mary's story that she's not just pondering the miraculous birth, she is pondering the ramifications of the story, of the event. So on this Christmas day, on this Feast of the Incarnation, on this the Feast of God's grace to us, let us confess again that God has saved us by his grace. Let us ponder these things in our own hearts and minds, that we are saved by grace, not by our works. And it's not just the who that we celebrate today, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, but in that celebration, we are celebrating the gift of our salvation. And what a gift it is. So let us not only celebrate the Christ child, but celebrate all that he has accomplished by his coming. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.